Thank you for listening to the Silver Club podcast. Here's your host, two-time Walker Cupper and former world amateur number one Steve Scott, and men's golf coach at Yale University and golf historian Colin Sheehan. Colin, we are back with Masters Week here on the Silver Club podcast. That music just doesn't get old, does it? Never, never. That's like a Pavlovian response for golfers everywhere <laughs> to hear that. I can't believe that we're not playing this thing this week. Steve, it's amazing. Like between the, the, the British Amateur and the Open Championship and the U.S. Open and the U.S. Amateur, the only time any of those four championships have ever not been played on time it took world wars so we are definitely in some new territory here this is just um, it's it's outrageous I mean, this is the week where the the business world stops and the sporting world just keeps on going i mean tonight was supposed to be the finals of the ncaa final four you know jim nance goes right from there and then he heads right over to augusta and just, you know, captures the whole scene at Augusta National. Uh, it's it's just not going to be the same. I mean, we're going to see a lot of past episodes and whatnot, but it, there's just going to be a piece of all of us that love golf that's missing. It's going to hit home for a lot of us. You know, we, we people I live, like you and I and golfers everywhere, we live for Masters Week. I can, every, there, there's four weeks a year where, you just you're alive it's electric and you, you can't you can't consume enough media and well we i guess we're at the point where you you, you circle the wagons and you count your blessings yes you know? yes you do and, and and for all our listeners out there and your families extended families we wish nothing but health and safety for all of you out there it's a it's a very scary time and uh, we just we just wish everybody a healthy return to normalcy very soon, and we just uh, we want it all to all to happen very quickly. Although it's it's going to be it's going to be a while. We are we're we're stuck indoors. We're kind of cramped in. We're we're going a little haywire at times. But um, health is number one, and golf will come back. Everything will come back, and it's just it just feels like it won't though. That's the that's the tough thing to grasp. It, it's amazing. Um, but I, you know, I think, thank God for the game we love and the distraction that it is and the joy it brings us. And, and I think um, you and I and everyone else listening and golfers everywhere, uh, just, just imagine the joy we'll all have when everything is back and we're, we're on a links again and the perspective and the context that 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 will, that'll come with no I doubt think. no doubt what what is your when we talk about augusta what's your first memory of augusta or the masters or steve i'm so glad you asked because i was just thinking about this tonight 34 years ago this week i remember i remember it like it's yesterday one of the great bonding moments i had as a kid with my father um i'm 10 years old or 11 years old and we're sitting in the house. Um, I remember the couch. I remember the room. And he and I. I was into golf, and it was the famous Jack Nicholas '86 Masters. <laughs> that was so great. And it it 
it it changed my life. It did. I, that moment was there's like no way that this person, this 46 year old man, could could do it. And and if you watch the replay, it, going into the back nine, there was he was out of it, and and it was the most extraordinary and exhilarating kind of two hours of my of my life at that point and and jumping out of jumping out of my seat when he made the eagle putt on 15 and it brought so much joy to to me and and I'd already and it was a game my father introduced to me and he and we were watching it together and uh one of the many things I know you've 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 had a a sort of litany of of special moments in your life and one of them for me was to tell Jack Nicholas how how much how gratifying it was for me to spend that sort of afternoon with my dad watching that masters how about you how about yourself spectacular well well that particular masters there's a couple things i remember for sure i remember the putt on 15 the 16th hole nicholas hit a six iron to that green i think tiger hit eight iron last year to that back left hole location the traditional sunday location down in the bottom left of that 16th hole and and I remember in the in the replay, his six iron hit once, bounced up and spun backwards. And Nearly you, know, you, don't, you don't it almost almost made a one, just like Tiger did last year. But I guess my point is, you don't see many six irons back up anymore like that. Number one, and it was just it was struck so perfectly. And when we hit it, he kind of watched it in the air for like a second, and he's like, ah, he just knew it was perfect. He like bent down and got his tee, like you know he was playing with the boys on a on a Sunday morning and. And the ball goes up there. He just knew it was he knew it was perfect. And you know, I guess when you're Jack Nicholas, you've hit that many golf shots, you just kinda you know when it comes off the face whether it's good. And and you know, we all dream of of hitting shots like that and having feelings like that go through our body when we hit shots when it really means something. But uh that how was about, that was spectacular that, though. How about Jack couldn't see the ball finish? His 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 he was his eyesight was was sort of weakened. By the way, I guess that's why I looked away. I didn't really know yeah. that, but interesting. And 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 I've I've since seen sort of multiple times how uh, his son Jackie, who was caddying for him, of course, uh, kind of put his mouth on the ball and said, "Get up!" And and even though Jack couldn't see it and was picking up his tee, said, "Oh, it's the it's there." I mean, think about how beautiful that is. I can, I, as you get older. I'm only 44. I'm a little older than you, but I'm only two years removed from Nicholas. And, you know, he, he was an old 46. I, I'd like to believe that I'm a young 44, but uh, I can't imagine two years from now being in a position to win that tournament with all those sort of amazing players and Europeans chasing me down. That was a highlight. And, and it should never be underestimated the power of one sporting event to grab someone by the collar and convert them fully. And that's exactly, I already love golf, but that moment you put it in the books. Like, you know, I wrote my name in the, in the guest book for a lifetime of love and, and you know, and, <laughs> and dedication to the game of golf right there. That's how it goes. It Those was, types of things. It was, it was a moment. Yeah. You, you talked about grabbing you by the collar. Well, last year, a guy who didn't wear a collar, he wears the famous mock neck and we're talking about one tiger woods. That was probably another moment that rivaled or was on par with what Nicholas did back in 86. I mean, what tiger did last year and, 
you know, coming from the depths of, of golf and the depths of, of mental anguish through his life to rise above all that and, and pull everything full circle, really, and the, the embrace he had with, with his son, just like his father did with him when he won in 97. I mean, just a spectacular all-around uh, view of, 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 you're right, sport and how it just grabs you. I, I think that was a watershed moment. It, for those of the, those who still su- still supported Tiger through his basically decade-long struggle to come back. I mean, he had good years in those years and but he, you know, he was written off and Absolutely. that was amazing. That was amazing to watch. They, like it's like could could it be done? Can he do it? And by the way, it took it took Brooks Kepka and others to sort of you know make some poor decisions. But great for Tiger, you know. I, I you got to be an ogre not to sort of allow someone an opportunity to to sort of atone for their sins and and come back. And you're everyone's. That's the beautiful thing about the American uh, narrative is that you're you're allowed to you're allowed to come back and and do things again and good for him. That was, that was a moment. That was definitely a moment where the goal, and I, and I, and, and, and if it leads to uh, another 20 years of devoted uh, golfers to follow because of it, then absolutely it was worth it. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. We are going to miss, miss it this week for sure. But, but there's a big, but because we're hearing speculation that, November 9th to the 12th may be the new rescheduled date. Not official, but there are speculations. I actually reserved a hotel room for a few days that week uh, just before that announcement came out and subsequently got it canceled unbeknownst to me. So something is going on that week, and I know other people have had the same thing happen to them, so... Uh, I'm going to have to find another hotel room, <laughs> but <laughs> but but I think something is going to be happening that first week in November there. Uh, I've been told from some insiders that that basically that ryegrass, the, they use this special Oregon rye that's a beautiful green. It only germinates when the soil temperatures average 65 degrees or under. So any talk of that having an October Masters really out the window because of that right there. They're not going to play it on any Bermuda base that they have. It just wouldn't look the same. So, you know, that Oregon rye needs a little time to pop. And those temperatures really only happen in Augusta right around mid-October. So I've been doing my little uh, weather research there. So uh, Good work. <laughs> By the way, good good work. It's a little, slew, little sleuthing <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, no, it, it's it's... You know what? And if they have it then and then they have it six months later in April, we'll watch it again. I mean, if they had the, the right. Masters every month, we would watch it every single month from the same venue. It doesn't it wouldn't matter. It's Augusta. At this point, I would I would watch anything on <laughs> any new golf on television. It would make me so happy. I think um, we're all we're, we're all in a situation where anything that's a return to normalcy will make us all happy. It will bring so much joy. It, it will. It will. Uh, you know, we, we mentioned just a moment ago about Tiger and the, the 22 years really that separated 
his first victory in 97 to his last victory so far in 2019. Uh, there's something else we're doing with the Silver Club Golfing Society, and I know you've taken a look at this. Uh, we've posted a couple of our greatest club champions out there. You can take a peek on all of our social media outlets, uh, Instagram, Twitter, at Silver Club Golf. Uh, we had a cool one posted this week about a gentleman who was a four-time club champion at Pine Valley, the venerable Pine Valley. We're talking about some pretty heady golf clubs here. From 1979 to 2000, David Brookerson, he won club championships, Pine Valley in particular. There's a great story that his son, Jesse, wrote on our Instagram page. So check that out. Uh, just a really heartwarming story. Uh, anyway, just a little promotion that we're doing. You can check us out on our website as well at silverclubgs.com. Uh, check the, click the drop down menu, enter your own uh, club champion, favorite club champion in there. And uh, we'll post some things and we'll give some awards to some of the best stories out there. Those are a lot of fun. And I know Colin last year, we have to plug a couple uh, pods that we did last year before we get to Lucas Michelle, uh, the 2019 mid amateur champ. Got to plug a couple of our pods that we did last year with the Augusta National Women's Amateur Champion, Jennifer Cupcho, as well as one that we recorded during our, our get-together at Augusta we call the Pig Pull. And it was with Trip Bowden, who was the very first Caucasian caddy at Augusta National from 1989 to 1994. Awesome podcast there. Trip uh, has got a great book out called Freddie and Me. It's really the story of how he got to... Uh, befriend the uh, caddy master Freddie Bennett at Augusta National, who was there for 40 years. But uh, anyway, just just spectacular stories. We're trying to bring them to you here via the Silver Club podcast and through our Silver Club Golfing Society. So uh, a lot of fun. Check those out. Nice, nice. That book is underrated. Freddie and me. Freddie and me is is spectacular. Yeah, I I, I got to admit, I he sent me uh, a copy and I really enjoyed reading it. I would read any. I'm I'm. I'm reading also, I'm reading as much as I can get my hands on when my, I'm not homeschooling my children right now. Yeah, we're doing a lot of homeschooling with our, with our kids right now. And, but uh, yeah, we can certainly catch up on a lot of, a lot of books and we can also catch up on a lot of podcasts. And here's one coming at you right now that you've got to check out. Lucas Michelle, the 2019 United States Amateur Champ. He won last year at the Colorado Golf Club in spectacular fashion, really in his first attempt that he was available to do so, 25 years old, and that's the that's the bottom floor of when you can actually get into the U.S. Mid-Am. So he was ready for Augusta. He was ready for the U.S. Open as well at Wingfoot. He's putting that on hold, maybe putting his professional dreams on hold just for a little bit longer. And so everybody out there, please enjoy this great podcast with Lucas Michelle. Have a great listen. Well, we've had the 2017, the 2018, and now we have the 2019 United States Mid-Amateur Champion, Lucas Michelle on the Silver Club Podcast. Welcome. Thanks a lot for having me. Now I'm looking forward to having a little chat. No, really, really appreciate you spending a few minutes. I'm sure you've been talking about a lot of things, obviously this current world situation that we're in. Let's just jump right into it. Take us through the timeline to when you heard everything came to a screeching halt. Yeah, so the whole the whole plan was to get to the States on the 11th of March, um, flew in through LA. So I got there on the 11th in the morning, 
that was a Wednesday. And I think that day there was a little bit of stuff coming out about the virus, about certainly things were accelerating a bit. I think that was the day the NBA might have postponed their season. Um, and then the following day was when it really started hitting the fan. Um, like right when you uh, came over. Wow. Nice timing. Yeah. Yes. So that Thursday was the day they played the players. Um, and everyone was, you know, saying how ridiculous it was that they had crowds out there. And then the next morning, I flew to Atlanta um, to get a little bit of prep in at Augusta, and that was when they announced they were postponing the tournament. So um, that morning, I flew into Atlanta, actually went to Augusta anyway, and uh, it was great to have a few practice rounds. But at that point, I knew that the Masters wasn't going to be held in three or four weeks like it was scheduled to be. So. Um, I didn't really time it very well, looking back on it. Um, not my fault, obviously, but uh, yeah, it would have been nice to, I guess, be starting tournament week right now, as it, as it would have been. Well, for sure. Well, I, I guess maybe I should have prefaced all that by asking you, obviously, you, you sound healthy, you look healthy. How's your family? How's, mm. how's, and how's the virus? How's everything going down there in Australia? Yeah, so family's all good, thankfully. Um, my parents are keeping very safe they're staying indoors and uh grandmother lives with them as well so she's been very careful as well because obviously it affects the the elder generations a uh, bit harder um i've been well i've been since i got back i got back uh, exactly two weeks ago actually um and because of that i actually had to self-quarantine for the last two weeks so i'm free as of today um to <laughs> okay. leave my house um legally haven't been able to leave my house for the last two weeks so um today i'll be able to do a little bit of shopping to get some groceries and that but i've thankfully had my housemate doing a lot of that for me so he's been really good um but yeah down here it's it's definitely um not great probably not definitely not at the level of some of the other countries like in europe and even the states now but um you know we're it's they're being very careful the government lot of restrictions they're actually restricting golf which um particularly in the state that i'm in victoria uh, where melbourne is golf's actually all the golf clubs are closed so wow unfortunately i'm not allowed to do any practice um on a golf course but i've got a little net set up in the backyard and um, thankfully a friend of mine lent me his track man so it's actually a pretty <laughs> decent setup or about as good as a backyard setup can be so um dealing with it as as best as i can yeah, for sure. Everything's everything's on hold in this world. It's certainly a, a weird time, and the timing is is crazy. And um, so, what are you hearing any news from Augusta National? And and even furthermore, we will talk about uh, both majors that you're involved in this year. Uh, the U.S. Open at Wingfoot, the mid amateur mm. champ, gets a spot at the U.S. Open. What what are you hearing from both? Obviously, we're hearing. A, you know, speculations that the, there's postponement towards the end of the year. Um, Augusta National, possibly uh, early November. U.S. Open maybe could play whenever, and then maybe they play in a couple different golf courses. You know, we're hearing maybe California. Who, who knows? Uh, what are you hearing? Yeah, I haven't heard anything official, so um, it's really just all speculation at, at this point. Um, when I was in Augusta, I know that they were looking – at that October date, because one of the staff I chatted to worked in some sort of admin position, and she said they were looking at coordinating school 
school holidays or school breaks with um, the tournament because I think they use a lot of school kids plus a lot of families go away and rent their houses out, which allows people to stay in the town. So they sort of had to coordinate that with school breaks. Um, so I think they were looking at initially an October date when I was there, but I guess it'll, it's all up in the air. No one really knows how long this thing's going to last. So at this point, yeah, I'm just speculating like everyone else. It would be, it would be really good for it to, to happen all well and good with, you know, full crowds and that. Um, but I think it's going to be tough now. And, and with the state of New York, New York state, um, with the virus, it's not looking good for the US Open either. So, um, whether they decide to move that or, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly confident that if neither of those run, um, I'll be getting an invite next year, hopefully. <laughs> um, cause I can't imagine if neither of those run, then I'd be very surprised if the US Midam runs, but, um, yeah. yeah, we'll see. True, true, true. I've been a player myself. I've been lucky enough to play in the masters and the US open. And, mm. you know, I knew how excited I was getting into that. You've got this ticket and then they just pull it right away from you. How bummed out are you? Yeah, I mean, I kind of, I know the Masters is going to happen at some point anyway, but I was really looking forward to the US Open at Wingfoot. Um, I, that was high on my list of kind of places to play along with obviously the Masters. And I'm, I'm, I'm confident the Masters will happen, but I'm just not confident that that US Open will happen at Wingfoot. So Torrey Pines is a great course, but Wingfoot, in, the, in my mind, it's just built up a lot bigger. So if I missed out on the Wingfoot invite, that would—that's probably the biggest bummer out of everything. But um, but I mean, I can't be too disappointed. I've still got two, likely two majors to play in. So it'd be a shorter trip to the West Coast of California, I guess, too. If there was a uh, that's true. You, you made a lot of flights over, you know, back and forth. You played, uh, you played quite a bit over in the United States even before the. The mid am. Uh, talk to me of some of the the amateur events that you were able to play in in the lead up to the mid am. Yeah, so last year I did. In the years before, I'd typically gone to Europe and the UK just because I had a few more friends over there. But um, last year I ended up going to the states um, just because I found in 2018 I I, came, I went over and I played um, the Southern Am, the Trans Mississippi Am, and. Uh, did a USAM qualified and get in. Um, but I really enjoyed those events. Um, and when I was looking at my schedule for 2019, it's, it's kind of hard because in Australia, we don't really run any events through the middle part of the year, um, just because that's our winter. And um, even though the courses are still great, um, it's just a little bit harder, I think, to, to run them. The days are a bit shorter. And um, yeah, it's a bit of a break for, for us guys. So decided I'd go to the US. Um, mid 2019 and I was sort of mapping out a schedule and I had a look at a few events and figured my scratch players ranking was low enough to get into probably three of the, the best amateur events. Um, so they were the sunny Hannah amateur, the Northeast amateur and the North and South amateur. It worked really well because our three consecutive weeks um, and I could kind of just hop from tournament to tournament. And also the host families at, the, at those events mean it's quite a bit cheaper than maybe some of the other events where you have to no doubt. figure out your own accommodation. So um, looked into those and, and registered for them, went over, and um, it was a really good trip. I, my golf wasn't its best. I struggled with my putting a bit. 
um, my driving a little bit as well. So I played okay at the northeast, had a bit of a rough last round, um, but the other two I missed missed the cut unfortunately. So my form wasn't its best um, out out of those events, but um, yeah, I kind of went home and a little bit disappointed with my play, but I I guess it kind of fired me up a bit more to to work on my game a bit harder and um, a few months later I obviously went over again for the mid-am yeah you did you did pretty well we're, we're going to get to that in a moment but you know you referenced a few of these golf courses and you know when you come over here to the states the the type of golf course can be very different than what you played at home uh you know mm. I've I've taken note here that you've you you've you've said you played at Royal Melbourne uh Metropolitan Golf Club in Kingston Heath all the time I mean you're making all the architecture junkies in the world jealous as hell so yeah. <laughs> what what's what's it like i mean you 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 grew up on these courses you don't know any different well i guess you you grew up in perth and now you live in melbourne but yeah. um but playing these these world-class golf courses that everybody in the world wants to come down and play what's what's it like playing these and you know talk us through how that maybe helped you in some of your other events and maybe leading into the mid-am yeah so golf golf down here is pretty different the courses definitely play a lot firmer and faster um so yeah i've been lucky to i've lived in melbourne for the last was it seven or eight years now so definitely had a lot of exposure to the sandbelt golf and the great architecture that we have down here and and also the great conditioning and the way the courses are presented it really it, it makes you think a lot more about how you play um and i've caddied quite a bit at all those three courses as well. Victoria, Metro, Kingston Heath, Royal Melbourne. I've carried at all of them um, in the past sort of five or six years while I was doing my studies. People say Royal Melbourne, though, is, is say it's their favorite golf course in the world. How far do you live from Royal Melbourne? I live about a 15-minute drive, um, so very close. Um, all the courses are so close together. I actually live, I rent a property off Metropolitan Golf Club where I'm a member. Um, so myself and the assistant pro there, uh, we're housemates, we rent the house. Um, so yeah, I'm 15 minutes from Royal Melbourne and Royal Melbourne really is like, as, as it really is as good as they say, in my opinion. Did you play, did you watch out, watch the president's cup there? Did you hop over there for, and watch Tiger and yeah. all the, and all the folks play out there? Yeah, I watched it for three days. Um, so I got to see them play it. it it's, it is a tough, tough watch though. Cause there's only, what is there like? five or six groups each day some of the days so it's it's when you got 40 50,000 people in a venue which to be honest spectates quite well because it's got quite good undulation but um it's still very very hard to see much golf so um <laughs> but yeah I, I saw a bit um saw Tiger hit a few shots he was incredible around there he just put on an absolute clinic of how to play Royal Melbourne was that the first time you saw him play in person uh pretty much I went to the 2015 British Open open championship and and he played that but he played pretty horrible so uh, it was the first time seeing tiger play good golf um up close so it was good he was on form pretty uh pretty well there pretty on point yeah before we get to the mid-am just uh talk to us a little bit about some of the the australian idols that you loved uh, growing up and liked watching and i mean obviously you're mm. what 25 years old so you, you don't have a a huge history i say a guy like adam scott somebody who i I played amateur golf with and against. You were, shoot, I mean, you were, what, five years old <laughs> when he started, yeah. when he was doing that. So, uh, but who are some of your 
Australian idols that you uh, that you grew up really admiring? Yeah, sort of. Adam Scott came out probably really to the attention in probably oh four oh five, and that would have been when I was ten or eleven years old. <laughs> yeah. So that was that was probably about the right time for someone for me to look up to and uh, to be coming out. So he definitely probably is the main one I looked up to growing up. Um, certainly, Norman was a little before my time. You know, he sort of was coming to the end of his career in the late 90s. Um, but, yeah, probably Adam Scott, Jason Day. actually played a little bit of golf with Cameron Smith as a junior. Right. Um, so he's a similar age to me. Um, but probably probably those guys are guys I look up to. Um, went to school with Curtis Luck, who won the U.S. Amateur. Right. Um, he was playing the PGA Tour, um, sort of bouncing back between the Corn Ferry and PGA Tour. So I know Curtis quite well. Um, but, yeah, Adam Scott was probably the main idol and someone I sort of, you know, everyone knows how good his golf swing is. So it's definitely something I've tried to model my golf swing on and his demeanor and um, just the way he goes about things. I think he's a really good role model for all young golfers growing up and Australians particular being the, the first Masters winner. Uh, so, so many great Australian players have come out for sure. Uh, a lot of those you referenced, just uh, you know, outstanding, outstanding players. They're outstanding people too. I, I haven't met too many Australians that I personally haven't liked. And, you know, they come across very, uh, you know, just you're all very, very affable people. So uh, thank you for that. However you all are raised down there, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely the right way. But, um, yeah. you know, talk, talk a little bit about, you, you mentioned – uh, a little bit before you reference having a track man and a, a hitting net now, how dialed in are you? Are you a, 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 a big like range rat? Would you say you play more? Do you say you really rely on these, you know, all the, the latest technology that's out there? Talk us through your game plan when you prepare for an event. Yeah. So I think, I think golf technology's sort of come a long way in the last 10 or 15 years. TrackMan and um, different biomechanics sort of systems, um, even video cameras with the slow-mo um, functions they've got on them now um, with your phone. Um, so certainly it really depends on what phase, if I'm building up towards a tournament or if like now I've got a little bit more time on my hands and I don't really know when my next event is. So at the moment I'm sort of taking the opportunity to do a lot more technique work uh, which is kind of all you can do in the backyard. Right. Um, obviously, it helps to have TrackMan there. Um, and I can look at different numbers like swing plane, swing direction, club path and all that and kind of reference that to different stuff I'm working on uh, in slow motion with a with my phone. Um, so, yeah, I'm probably at the moment doing a lot more in the backyard, working on technique, not worrying too much about hitting shots and playing because it's pretty hard to do that in the net. Um, but certainly as I ramp up and, and figure out when when my next tournament is, I'll definitely start playing a lot more. And I don't like hitting a lot of balls. Once once I'm sort of a few weeks out of an event, I like just playing as much golf as I can and, and figuring it out on the golf course. But it is good in a way having this opportunity to really nail down a few techniques tweaks that I'm, I'm working on at the moment so what are you working on what's your preferred shot shape do you have a, a swing coach that you really rely on or are you more self-taught or I definitely take a more self 
learnt, self-taught approach. Um, there's a few guys that I've sent swings to. I've seen a guy called Dana Dahlquist in LA a few times now. He's really good. Um, so I've sort of taken his approach um, of the golf swing, which I really like. Um, I think he's got a lot of players that swing it great. What are some of the, a couple of the keys? Cause it really our, our silver club podcast and our silver club golfing society mm. really revolves around amateur golf, competitive golf. You know, you're right in a, in a great demographic for all of our listeners. Like what, what mm. sort of, what sort of things are you keying on with that? And what are a couple technique things that you really like uh, that, that a guy like Dana Dawquist does? Yeah. So Say if I was to probably condense Dana down to a few things, it would be minimizing the amount of face rotation into and through the ball. Um, so making sure you're able to control the club face as best as possible. And if, if the club face is not trying to find the ball leading into impact um, in a really quick way, and if you've got more time to really slow that club face down from rotating as much as possible through the ball, then I think you're likely to be more consistent in your ability to match up the club face to the target. Um, so I've been working on a few things that help do that. Um, holding my posture a lot better and not coming out of my posture and early extending into the ball and having to flip my hands at it as much yeah. into the ball. Um, certainly just shift shallowing the, the plane of the swing a little bit on the downswing. In the past, I've typically pulled it down with my hands and then in order to time the impact, had to yeah, come out of my posture and throw the hands of the ball. So, yeah. yeah, just staying my posture better, shallowing the club face, allowing it to shallow early and then just freely rotate through the ball and not having to time the club face as much. So, yeah, it's just more, more body rotation, less, less hand yeah. influence. Exactly. Have you, ha yeah. How have you found that and how long have you been working on something like that? I probably started working on that. I, I saw a golf coach for a long time in Melbourne um, until about late 2017. And then the last two years, I sort of felt like it was always sort of the same stuff with him. And he was a great golf coach and he, he did improve my swing a lot. But I just got to the point where I felt like there was something that I was missing and I needed a little bit more. And I've got a very curious mind. So I started looking around at different spots and ended up finding Dana on Instagram and looked at a few of his players and started learning more. And then it was probably in 2018 and and last year when I really started uh, investigating it a lot more myself. And I first saw Dana um, in 2019. Uh, it was actually straight after the mid-am win. So <laughs> he can't take any credit, unfortunately. <laughs> well, not directly, but um, yeah. he certainly was a big influence on my what I was working on in my swing at that point um, and have since. So, um, yeah, probably the last two years mainly I've been sort of dialing in on that stuff and really trying to understand it as much as I can um, myself so I can sort of self-coach, self-teach my, my whatever I'm working on. Right, right, right. Do you feel like your, your shot shape has changed? Do you, were you more, you know, when, I, when you think of a player who's a little bit more hand-influenced in the swing, you think of somebody who maybe works the ball from right to left, you're a right-handed player, you worked a, what, have mm. you changed your shot shape much with the, the more body rotation and less hand influence? I think it just gives me the ability to hit shot shapes 
like if I'm working on something, I can hit a draw the same way I hit a fade. Whereas in the past, when I used to try and hit a draw, it had to be a lot. It was more throwing the hands at it and releasing it harder with the hands. Whereas now I can still release it with my body, but hit a draw. Um, and then fades have always been felt easier to me um, because I think there is less throwing the hands at it. That's more just passive and with the body. So it's almost hitting both shapes the same way rather than in the past. It was almost two different swings to hit the two different shapes. Got it. Got it. What, what sort of shot shape? If you have, you got a shot for, for your life on the last hole and you know, you're at the mid am and you need to, you need to hit this shot. What was the shot shape that you trusted at that event? Definitely a fade. Yeah. Fade, I think minimizes the amount of rotation you got to the face. So you can just hold on to it. <laughs> as best as you can. Um, although it's funny because I know that Augusta certainly is a draw bias golf course. I've been trying to get a lot more comfortable with hitting a draw recently. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And being able to rely on that draw uh, in the future. So that's something I've worked on and, and that sort of touches on shallowing that, that sharp plane a little bit on the first parts of the downswing. And that, that really helps doing that too. You know, it's, it's interesting you say the fade because yeah, you, you, you play golf and the, the U S mid am, Last year, for everybody who didn't take a peek at that, that happened at Colorado Golf Club out in Denver. Very thin air, thin altitude. Ball goes a long way. But if you don't have enough spin on the golf ball, the ball really falls out of the air, depending on what kind of golf ball you're playing. If you play a draw with a a non-spinny golf ball, forget it. You're not going to get that thing elevated Mm. at all. So no reason, no, no coincidence, I guess, why you had some success there in the thin altitude hitting the hitting the fade well let, let's get mm. into that mid-am real quick um you know i just looking through through some of the the stats from the event and so you know what you shot in the stroke play and i see you know you had a nice round the first day you shoot 69 over at common ground you know really good start and then you you start leaking oil a little bit at colorado golf club i saw as you were going down you made you made double or you made double on the 17th hole that got you to five over, I think, on the day. Um, you come to the last hole needing a, 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 a good solid hole to get into match play after having that first round. Talk us through kind of what happened on that 18th hole and, and or the 36th hole stroke play and some of the emotions and that you went through trying to just, you went from that great round to, man, I might miss the match play entirely. Hmm. Yeah, it was a funny, it was a really funny 36 holes of qualifying. So my round at Com- uh, Common Ground, even though I shot a 69, I probably drove it as bad as I've ever driven it in a tournament. It was actually horrendous. Luckily, the golf course is very forgiving off the tee. Um, and I got a few really good breaks when I hit it into some of the long sort of fescue grass. So that was, even though it was a 69 on the scorecard, there was a lot of really good wedge play and pretty good putting that, that got it together and a few good breaks off the tee. Um, at Colorado, I probably didn't get those good breaks off the tee. Probably almost felt like I drove it a little bit better, um, but um, maybe didn't putt it as good. Um, and then coming down 17, I missed the green right, and it's a little downhill par three. It's got a it's got a green very similar to 16 at Augusta. So it's got like a tear through the middle of it. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of works right the pin to left. Was down and, on the yep, bottom left. Yep. And I was sort of, yeah, I was pin high right on the top tier, just off the right edge of the green. And it was a really tricky part. 
Anyway, putted it down and just got it trickling over the slope. But the greens were so quick, actually. The ball just took off and went into the water. You putted, um, so it, into the water. putted it into the oh. water. Yeah. And to be fair, I wouldn't, I don't, I would be very surprised if I was the only person who did it that day because I just got that thing rolling down, trickling down the hill and it just went all the way into the water. So that was not a good thing to happen on so my second last. Yeah. Day. So you're like, oh my gosh, this is, this is all coming to an end right here. You yeah. get, you stand on the 18th tee after, you know, you're in this position. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Yeah, I just sort of thought, I mean, you've got to hit a good couple of shots here. Um, I thought I thought Birdie would definitely do it, and I thought Par would probably do it, worst-case playoff. And, um, and, yeah, I mean, I hit a good tee shot, a good second shot, and rolled in like a 20-footer for Birdie. So that was, was a pretty nice way to finish. Um, probably not, not expecting to hold that putt, but um, it was good to do it that way. And, Certainly, there was a few nerves there, but to do that under pressure probably gave me a little bit of confidence going into the rest of the week. I suppose. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty amazing. You get into a, an event like that, and sometimes it can only take one shot to really change your mindset or give you that real big boost of confidence to to carry you through. Uh, you know, you won two up in the first round. Two and one in the second round. Four and three in the third round. Then you get to the quarterfinals. And you're four up through thirteen. You're like, okay, I'm I'm into the semis. Like, you know, your mindset. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard not to think ahead when you're in that when you're in that point. And then all of a sudden, things started to go the wrong way, and you went to extra holes, and you end up winning on the twentieth hole. Um, you know, talk 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 us through talk us through that and how how you were feeling in that moment as well. Yeah, I was playing. I was playing well, um, and I. It was a little bit of my fault, but it was mainly his good golf. I think Jacob, I think he went birdie, eagle, birdie on the 14th, 15th, and 16th. And I went par, birdie, par. Like, I played <laughs> fine those holes. So yeah. um, he ate into my lead there. And then on 18, I just made a bad boat. Yeah, just a bad tee shot. Um, hit in the right trees, and it's a tough hole. Um, so I made bogey, he made par, and we went to extra holes. And I think we both birdied the first extra hole from memory um and then the second extra hole um i think he got a little bit of bad advice from his caddy um he hit it left of the green little par three had a chip shot it was a tough tough little pit pit shot off the left edge and his caddy sort of told him to hit it too far up the slope and um it was it was just always going to take off on that slope he should have just chipped it lower down the hill and took the six or eight footer up the hill, but he tried to hit something that would go close and ended up rolling off the green. So a little bit of bad advice, a little bit of bad judgment. wasn't a bad execution. Um, just, yeah. yeah well, Thankfully, some... I hit the middle of the green and two-putted. <laughs> Look, sometimes you need that stuff. I mean, there's, there's you, you, you play a, a match like that, an, an event like that, and you, know, you play a, a mid-amateur event like that. You have two days of stroke play, and you have six rounds of match play combined there's plus practice rounds i mean it, it's a it's a long drawn out event so it's 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 easy to get ahead of yourself it's easy to go through you know some good stretches bad stretches and you're certainly hoping in match play that the your bad golf doesn't completely cost you and obviously it didn't in this particular event you get through you beat you beat a a former mid-amateur champ uh and one of the top amateurs in the world and Stuart Hagestad 
in the semifinals. I guess pretty pretty strong feather in your cap to take him down. Yeah, that was that was a good match. I chatted to my caddy. I had a really good guy in my bag, Will Davenport. He played the tournament, actually. He played the mid-am. I met him down in Melbourne. He worked down here for a bit, um, and then he jumped on my bag. He lost to Stewart in the first round of match play. So he sort of had a little bit of advice on maybe how to tackle him, how to best play against him. Um, and he'd sort of noticed that Stewart had not been down at any point, and he'd also been up very early and sort of just held on for the rest of the round. So Will's advice was just do everything you can to play great in those first sort of five, six, seven, eight holes um, and just try and hold on. And I, it's hard to, to do exactly what someone tells you, but <laughs> I did. I ended up playing great the first nine. I think I was at least two or three up at some point. Yeah, you were, exactly you, were, you were three up through nine, and then he, he made a little bit of a rally and won, yeah. won 10 and 12 and and then ties it up on 14 and and then goes one up on 15. So he totally turned the, turned the tides. Yeah. So you're one down with three holes to play to this great player yeah. who's played in the Masters, who's won this event. Yeah. yeah. What, what did you tell yourself to dig yourself out of that hole? I don't really know. I think... I sort of I knew he was such a good player and I kind of just had to trust trust my game and just try and play as good as I can and not not try and worry about what what he was doing and just play the best shots I could. So 16 was a really um interesting golf hole. It was a split fairway par 5. If you went down the right, you sort of played almost it was like a redan reverse redan green. So you played yeah more into the slope whereas if you went down the left you played kind of down the redan yeah so i went down the narrower right side and actually hit a really good shot to the back edge of the green from there i think stewart went down the left and just couldn't hold the green from there um so i made a birdie and he made a par and then so that was all square and then 17 we had this weird sort of like um wind gusty kind of tornado-y thing come through. Interesting. And I ended up hitting a five iron. He hit, I think, an eight or a nine iron. Wow. So I think he completely missed club because he misjudged the wind. He went in the water short left, and I went to the back edge of the green. And thankfully, I had two-putted to win that hole. You didn't putt in the water again. No. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was very careful not to do that time. Thankfully, the pin was back right. Good, 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 um, good. Didn't have to worry as much. And then 18, he just he just didn't hit a great tee shot. Went in the left trap, sort of hit one a little skinny out of the trap through the green and had a really tough chip and made bogey and I held on and made a nice pass. So, um, yeah, it was kind of a bit of him doing, making a few little mistakes and me just playing solidly the last three holes. Um, and, yeah, thankfully got over the line there. Yeah, you win, win the last three, you know, some pretty strong closing ability that took that took it on to the finals as well against uh, Joe DeRainey. and mm. uh, you had some pretty good closing ability there too. Talk us through the last the last little stretch there. You were mm-hmm. down one with six to play, and you uh, you birdied you birdied a few coming in. Yeah, uh, that was a really good match. Joe Joe played great. He really didn't make a mistake for the first. 30 holes or so, maybe 29 holes. And then on 12, sort of the second round, he missed a, missed a tee shot a bit right and then an approach shot way left and a 
sort of saw the opportunity. Um, I didn't think he was going to really make a mistake. He'd made a couple little bad shots, but he's just such a good ball striker. I just couldn't see him making mistakes, but his ball striking sort of did come a little bit unstuck. It was still really good, but there was just a few signs that it maybe wasn't going to hold on under pressure. And um, yeah, I ended up winning, winning 12. I think we halved 13 and then halved 14 with birdies. And then I birdied 15 and 16 to go uh, a couple up. Yeah, two up, two up with two to play. That's right. Yeah. So I sort of, I sort of did the same thing as I did against Stuart down 16. I went down the alternate fairway and then um, hit the green from there and uh, made the birdie. And then 17, sort of holding that that two two up lead with two to play. Um, probably the most nervous iron shot of my life. Because it's a tricky, it's a tricky uh, little par three, front little pin. It was playing a little bit down breeze. It was downhill. I think it was measuring like 200 yards, but because of the altitude and a little bit, a little bit of helping breeze and then a little bit of adrenaline, I ended up hitting a nine iron. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and, and I think, I think he hit a wedge. So that kind of says how short it was playing. Unbelievable. Um, and I hit it, I hit it 30 feet past with a nine iron. He, he was really in quite tight. It was about 10 or 12 feet. And then I I was able to lag one up to about three feet, um, and he missed his ten or twelve footer and um, knocked and you, in my three. And footer you made it, in. but it, it wasn't that smooth though. I read a story <laughs> that it was uh, it was a little it, there was a there was an awkward moment there right before you hit that yeah. three footer to win. What what happened? Yeah, so I don't know what it was, but Joe took his hat off and started walking towards me after with me still having the three footer for the win. So he missed it. Yeah. He misses, he misses birdie putt and, and you've got a three yeah. footer there and you're, you know that you've got to have to putt this putt. Like there's no way, there's no way he's giving it to you. There's no chance. Yeah. Yeah. So in my mind, I've always got to hold that putt, but then he comes over and hat off and shakes my hand and I'm, I'm struck, like just awestruck. Like what's going on here. Um, and then I don't know. There, it was funny because there wasn't really a point where he looked like he realized what he did was wrong. Like, you know, if you did something like that, you'd kind of go, Oh, like, <laughs> what have I done? You know, but he sort of said it smoothly and he said, Oh no, no, no. Like I'm going to make you putt this. So I was like, Oh, what? And like, I thought he maybe might've intended it the way he said it, but I don't know. It's a pretty crazy thing to do on the second last hole. Do you think it was gamesmanship? Never had it happen to me. I really can't say for sure. It was really bizarre. So I sort of had to show off because the USGA guys, they see a guy taking off his hat, shaking your hand. They're thinking, oh, the match is over. He's conceded the part. And they probably couldn't tell it was three feet from their angle. So they've sort of started to come over with the trophy and I had to go, oh, no, 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 no. Like he's actually <laughs> said it's not good. You, you so, had to wave um, off the trophy was... before you hit the winning putt. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah, just an hour. <laughs> um oh my goodness so yeah both our, both our hats went back on and um <laughs> had to hold a free footer for the win which is obviously very stressful it would have been stressful anyway um but having that little extra time to maybe mull things over didn't help but um thankfully it was sort of up the hill it didn't didn't turn too much so managed to squeeze it in on the right side of the hole and that was that Wow, that's that is real. That is really weird. Uh, never heard mm. that. May never hear that again. That's uh, 
anyway, yeah. but uh, you know, who knows? Who knows what the intention was? But uh, you made the yeah, putt. Hard to sell. You made the putt, and you knew you were you're you're going you're going to Augusta. You're going to mm. you know, the the U.S. Open. What, who was the first person that you called? And yeah, well, I ran over to my caddy, and we sort of embraced, and you know, couldn't believe it. Um, I told Will, my caddy, the the morning that um, you know, if if I won, he's on the bag at Augusta. So. He was in it just as excited as I was, so that was that was a pretty awesome moment for both of us. Um, I had I had a family that I'd stayed with for the week who were friends of um, friends of friends, so they'd been sorted out through that mutual friend, and they looked after me that week. Not golfers, they didn't know anything about golf, but they came and watched in that final, so that was a pretty cool moment for them, and I think they really helped me that week, distract me from everything throughout the week. You know, I'd go back to their place. And, we just chat about stuff that wasn't wasn't about the round that I just played or anything like that. So they helped helped a lot. So good moment with them. Rang my parents obviously back home in Australia. I think it was it would have been morning, so it wasn't wasn't like it was the middle of the night, yeah, but I think yeah. they'd been watching all night because it would have finished say like eight or nine AM for them. Well, you know, you can imagine they were watching it. Yeah. Four, five, six AM just trying to see what was going on and and it wasn't looking good a lot of the time. I'm sure they probably just couldn't watch for a moment, but um, to ring them and chat to them was great. And obviously there was a bit of, you know, media interview stuff that I had to do and um, ended up probably wasn't until maybe an hour or two after I actually finished where I kind of got free from everything, you know, signing flags and, and all of that for, for the USGA. Um, and my caddy and I, we talked about it all week. Colorado's got a little nine-hole par three um, course. We talked about doing a little victory lap around there if I won um, all week. And we uh, we grabbed a couple beers and went out there and um, played nine holes on the par three course. And <laughs> he ended up beating me by a shot. Um, so that was that was all good. I think I think I won the more important one that week, but uh, he he got the <laughs> he got the win on the par three victory lap. So, great. No, it was all good fun. Great story. Great. I, I, I love stories mm. like that. That's, that's great. All right. Mm. Just to, before, before we let you go, and I really appreciate all the time that you've, that you've given, uh, that event was going to be your last amateur event and you were going to turn pro, correct? Yeah. I had, uh, I had some status in Australia that I was going to take up um, straight after it. It was kind of my last hurrah to try and get into the masters and us open. If in, and if that didn't work out, I, had three or four events that I could play in back home as a pro was card for that. Interesting. Yeah. I saw that you played in the, you did play in the uh, Australian open. You played in a few, you finished 21st in the Emirates Australian mm. open. That had to be, that had to be pretty exciting, but yeah, this, this whole, this whole world health epidemic now is, has pushed these plans back even further for you. I mean, I imagine that you, you what what were your plans initially you know were, were you going to turn pro after the US Open and and now <laughs> what sort of things are going through your mind right now yeah the original plan was sort of play it by ear i've never i've never been 100% all in on turning pro it's sort of been like i was all in on turning pro after the after the mid am if i hadn't won just to give it a a good crack but this is sort of been really different because even though I'm into those majors, it'll give me a really good gauge of where my game is and if I think I have what it takes to to play at that level. And it 
the, the other annoying thing is with the epidemic and everything, it keeps pushing back my plan. So, yeah, the original plan was to sort of see how the US Open and Masters went. If I played great in them, I could potentially get some really good opportunities after that to turn pro. If I played sort of mediocre, I'd probably wait until the tour schools in sort of April, September, and maybe do Europe and the US. And if I played horribly and saw that my game was far too far away, um, then I might, you know, just continue playing amateur golf and enjoying that. And I've got an engineering degree. I'd perhaps try and use that and get a fairly stable job and kind of move into to that sort of realm of things. So um, the year was sort of planned out in that way, but now it sort of pushes things back even further for me. Um, and it looks like next year might be potentially when all this stuff happens for me. Um, so it's kind of, yeah, it's an interesting time for me. My All my plans are up in the air, but that's, it's like that for everyone. No one really knows what they're doing for the next year. So I'm really in no different position to most people right now. Well, you're, you're gracious with your time. Uh, Lucas, Michelle, really appreciate you being on the Silver Club podcast. We wish you a lot of luck. And these majors are going to be played. You're going to be in them. And we look forward to pulling for you and watching you every step of the way. And, and best of luck all the way through. No, I really appreciate you having me. Thanks. Uh, thanks. It was a great, great chat. Thanks again to Lucas for spending some time with us and the Silver Club podcast. Even though the Masters isn't happening this week, sit back, reminisce, Golf Channel, CBS. I know they're going to be playing some of the past Masters. We could sit and watch it forever, and this will be a, a special week to do so. Hopefully we get a chance to watch the real Masters happen this year at the beginning part of November. Cannot wait to hear what the Masters Committee has in store for us, and hopefully we can get out of this virus situation real soon. So until then, everybody, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll look forward to bringing you another Silver Club podcast very soon. <laughs>